This show is part of the RetroZap.com podcast network. You will never find the more wretched hive of scum and villainy. We must be cautious. Hello, and welcome to Beltway Banthas, your Star Wars and politics podcast that this week is not live from the hive of scum and villainy, Washington, D.C. Instead, we're live from Orlando, Florida, on the eve of Star Wars Celebration! Right now, we're in our, in our good friend Dennis Keithley's hotel room recording Dennis Keithley of Starship Savers and Scoundrels, along with uh, Joe Tabano of Bruise and Blasters, and Carly Lane of Nerdist, Sci-Fi Wire, and uh, Supergirl Radio. How are you doing, guys? I'm doing fantastic, and I'm looking at this table right now, and I'm... It looks like a tiki, like, it's it just like the <laughs> eyes right now, and it would be fantastic. This is like a, a, a crazy tiki totem, so, I don't know, that's kind of where I am right now. Let's talk politics, guys. <laughs> Carly, how are you doing? Uh, really excited. This is my first celebration ever. Yay. So, I'm super pumped. Uh, I, too, am joining the first-timers here at Celebration, so I'm super excited. Awesome, awesome, guys. Like, what are we each looking forward to the most at this uh, celebration? Oh, wow. Yeah. Wow. If you had to choose a couple, or some of the things you're looking for. I don't know what I don't know. Like, I'm, I'm literally going to walk in there, and kind of whichever the wind takes me, I'm just going to have a great time. Um, also, I have a ton of things, like, booked up that I need to do, so I'm probably going to, it's going to be hard to keep me pinned down to those, so it's going to be fun to do, too. Let the force guide you, Joe. I, I suppose so. I need to, need to trust in the force. That's not how the force works. <laughs> Carly, what are you looking for? Um, I'm really excited for the two big panels. I'm really looking forward to the 40th anniversary, especially because uh, Hayden Christensen making an appearance in I don't know how long, oh, returning so to long. Star Wars, you know, convention. Wait, I think the last celebration he was at was 2002. 2002 yeah. in Indianapolis. Yeah, okay. he was walking around with like a stormtrooper helmet on, <laughs> and, you know, incognito. I, I'm getting his autograph. Nice. And I'm pretty excited about that. His photo op sold out. Yeah, within hours, I think yeah. they said. Yeah, record time. Yeah, which yeah. is that that just warms my heart because I think, you know, whatever your personal feelings on Anakin as a character, I think there's still a lot of love for him, for him as an actor. So that, yeah. that like makes me very happy. Totally, I like the prequels. I do too. Yeah. I thought there's gems. Yes. Hidden gems in the prequels. There is. Yes. So, yeah. but that uh, last Jedi panel for sure. Um, Battlefront Two. Nice. Yeah. I see the teaser. I saw the teaser. Oh, Haven't no. seen the teaser yet. Oh, what? Oh, we'll watch what? it after this. What? Release. It yeah. looks sick. <laughs> looks so good. Yeah. So. Good. so. Dennis, what are you look, looking most forward to? Uh, well, for one, I'm looking this. I'm looking forward. I've been looking forward to meeting everyone that I've only gotten to know online. Uh, yeah. Little icons that are, are buried on the side of Twitter profiles. So this is <laughs> this is a nice change. Um, I'm looking forward to all of it. The the panels, the merchandise, the autographs. Um, 100% Star Wars at a, uh, at a convention. Can't get better than that. Yeah, we're already saturated in Star Wars, and I'm pretty excited about that. Yeah, On the exactly. plane ride over here, I was looking at the guy. He had a 501st show. I'm like, hey, celebration, right? <laughs> and, uh, yeah, he, he, he was, you know, he part of the R2 Builders Club. Oh, nice. He's like, yeah, I'm pretty much working all weekend. And I'm like, yeah, but 
you build our tubes. Like, come on, that's awesome. <laughs> yeah, so uh, that's cool. Yeah, it's so great. I saw uh, you know a couple of people traveling from DC with me uh, going to a celebration and. Lots of kids on the plane as well, thankfully, weren't too loud or anything. So, yeah. <laughs> um, you know, I, this is something I've been thinking about generally. Uh, I think that, like, Star Wars feels like the ultimate escape from the stresses of the real world. Um, it's the ultimate escapism. You know, Star Wars is something we use since we were kids to, you know, like, get our minds off of the real world or off, like, stress when we were in school or work or whatever. And, um, I guess, like, uh, how does everyone here view celebration as an escape from your daily life? Hmm. Who wants to go first? Well, okay. Star Wars came out when I was three, so it's always been part of my life, and it's come and gone as I've grown up. Uh, when I was in high school, I probably distanced myself a little bit because I was more interested in, you know, doing sports and meeting girls and that type of a thing, and then it right. came back yeah. around especially um, when we had things like the um, special editions came out. That's when I got engaged to my wife. And, you know, then we had the new movies come out. So this is a culmination of 40 years of fandom for myself. And it's I've always had Star Wars around. It's, it's been around for huge events in my life. And so now getting to be in an event that is all Star Wars all the time, it's just, I can't explain how incredible that is. Yeah. Dennis and I are only a couple of years apart. I was born right around Empire Strikes Back. Mm -hmm. So, yes, that I take what he said, transfer it onto me. Yeah, this is like the culmination of a life of loving Star Wars, um, a good 20 years of admiring and then becoming involved in the Star Wars community. Right. And really, you know, just all of that coming together right now. This is the, uh, the pinnacle. So I'm, I'm really excited. So I'm not a lifelong Star Wars fan, mostly because I, my parents weren't diehard Star Wars fans. I was introduced to the original trilogy, I think, when I was about 10 or 11. Awesome. Um, and so Phantom Menace was the first movie I saw in theaters, which cool. is why I think like part of my fondness for the prequels is that excitement of getting to see my very first Star Wars movie in the theater like very soon after I became obsessed with it. <laughs> Can I hijack um, Suarez's podcast for a second and just ask you, do you remember being there at the, at the, uh, the Phantom Menace? I do. Was it good? Was it like exciting to be in the theater? I, no. I have this very I have this very distinct memory of my family actually surprised me by taking me to the movie. Uh, I cried when I realized where we were. And then, and then, and then I remember being so invested, like so engrossed during the, um, during the pod, uh, the pod racing scene. There's a, there's Great a moment scene. where debris yeah. flies at the screen and I ducked. <laughs> I was sitting in my seat and, I, awesome. and I literally ducked cause I was so just entranced by everything. Um, so I, I don't know. I feel like I've always been pretty unapologetic about Star Wars fandom. It was my first real fandom um, later followed by things like Harry Potter and Buffy, but Star Wars was always my very first love. So, yeah, so this is really exciting. I've been to other kind of, you know, like geek culture conventions, you might mm. say, but this is the first Star Wars exclusive convention. So, and I'm really excited just because I have friends here who 
you know, have, or also have very close to their hearts. So it's fun to share that experience with people that you care about. That's right. awesome. Yeah. I think that's the ultimate aspect of it. Sharing with all of these people coming. Mm-hmm. I know like there are thousands of people here for Orlando celebration. This is actually my second celebration. I went to the one in London last cool. year when I was living there and I got to report on it as well for Newsweek. Uh, some of the Rogue One news and some mm-hmm. of the last Jedi news about, uh, what, uh, Ryan Johnson was using as inspiration for, episode eight but um yes like you carly star wars has always been part of my life since i was nine and i saw the originals for the first time and i remember watching episode four and just utterly falling in love with this majestic masterpiece of a film and it's crescendo to the final battle and falling in love with all these characters and i just uh it was also my first fandom um and uh I've like watched the films over hundreds of times <laughs> each, and uh, I, um, you know, going after the Force Awakens uh, or right before the Force Awakens, it wasn't as though my fandom had been diluted or anything, but it wasn't necessarily as active as it had been during my childhood. But sure. once the Force Awakens came came out. I experienced this resurgence with everyone else that made my fandom much more prominent than maybe it ever has been before. And uh, going to Celebration London and getting my picture taken with Mark Hamill, (laughs) oh my god. (laughs) Just, Mark Hamill is my hero, has been my hero since childhood, and, uh, you know, it was, it was, it was beyond an honor to, like, uh, finally meet him in person, and uh, in this celebration, I'll be uh, getting my picture with Ian McDermott, the Emperor. Nice. So first my ultimate hero, now my ultimate villain. <laughs> and uh, I guess for me, in terms of escapism, it's uh, it feels like I'm entering a completely different world. Uh, that was what Celebration London was for me, to uh, be with everyone who loved the same thing I did to the same amount that I do. And it's, uh, in a way, it's humbling almost, that Mm. we are part of this fandom community that ultimately has so much love and respect. And so, you know, we talk about divisiveness sometimes in the fandom a lot, but I feel like that's very superficial. A lot of it is really just online and social media, and I think it's like filtered through not being someone in person. And when you meet people in person, it's like, what are you talking about? What are you going to argue about? Sure. We're here to have fun. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So... Yeah, that's, like, really good. But um, I'm curious, like, more generally, um, growing up, like, what example... Like, how has Star Wars more generally helped you take your mind off of the real world? Like, whether in childhood or today, like, you know, it's no big secret that we have a really crazy political climate right now. (laughs) I'm, I'm wondering how you all use fandom, and specifically Star Wars fandom, and, uh the movies, the uh, media to like take your mind off of what's going on right now. So for celebration, I am not paying attention to the news whatsoever for the next four days. Good policy. (laughs) That's something I don't usually do. And this is like my, my break from the world. And uh, hopefully we won't be at war when we get back. (laughs) (laughs) Nuclear fallout. (laughs) You know? So, um, I don't know. But I just feel like it's a a really great moment, just like you said, to kind of be immersed into this awesome community and this really exciting moment in, in fandom. So, why not just kind of switch off a little bit and take a break from the... The, the politics and the news and the toxicity that will be there when I get back. Right. Um, 
Growing up, though, I don't know. I don't know if it was ever something that I took a break from, but it informed my sense of right and wrong quite a bit. Right. So I was thinking about it in terms of that and saying that these these are the good guys, these are the bad guys. So that was very black and white back then. OT is very black and white. And I don't know. And I, I, it makes me wonder that I had to learn shades of gray as I got older. Mm. So I don't, I don't know if it even helped me so much to learn about real-world politics in the sense that not everything is good and bad, but you also have to learn a lot of different shades. I mean, that's where I would use it as an example of escapism. It gave you that stark example of good versus evil, sure. black versus white, and it just wasn't complicated. You knew the Emperor Vader, you know, Vader, the personification of evil, right. you know, that he was not someone to you know, cuddle up to, like that he needed to be taken down. And there's sort of that rush of feeling of, you know, sympathy for your heroes. And I think for me, I'm just going to jump ahead of myself if that's okay. Like getting immersed in that story dynamic. Um, you know, I, for example, didn't have many friends in middle school or something like that. I felt like my friends were Han, Luke and Leia and Chewie. And I just wanted to be with them and their adventures and, I wanted to, you know, like, be part of the Rebel Alliance and, you know, do some good in the galaxy. Maybe that inspired me later on in terms of my sense of right and wrong and the sort of good I want to do. Um, but let's move on to Carly. Like, how do you use Star Wars as, like, general escapism growing up and maybe even today? Um, I think growing up, I don't know if it was necessarily as much escapism, like I wanted to leave my own reality. It was more like I couldn't wait to get back to Star Wars. Right. Like, <laughs> I, you know, when I find something I love, I kind of do a really deep dive into it. So for me, it started with the movies and then it launched up into reading like all the EU books and, you know, reading, like devouring whatever I could on Star Wars. And so any time spent away from Star Wars was like, what am I doing? This is a waste of my time. I could be getting back to like, I could be, you know, I just finished the first book in the Thrawn trilogy and there's a second book that's gotta be read. Like, you know, so it was, it was less about like my life sucks and more about this, this is so cool. Like, I just wanna, I just wanna spend time here, you know, spend a few hours reading or watching episode four for like the millionth time. Um, <laughs> You now, right? I put it on in the background actually while I was packing for celebration last night. Nice. Like, I just had it on. It was like, mm, and then I had to pause a couple times to watch. So I stopped. It took longer to pack. <laughs> <laughs> um, as an adult now, it's interesting because I think maybe as a kid I wasn't really uh, experiencing like the catharsis, the emotional catharsis of Star Wars as much as I am now. Like now I'll watch Rogue One and just kind of let myself feel like let myself yeah. cry and, and it feels really good especially because I think I think my I have a tendency to not not acknowledge how much things are, are hitting me um like things in the real world yeah okay. like the stress and the anxiety and everything right. that's going on and how tumultuous like the current political climate is and, and and I think I don't know if I necessarily like lie awake at night but it's it's nice to like put on a movie and then just kind of you yeah, know, like yeah. let yourself feel things. Um, so I think that's it's probably more like more of that than any kind of like escapism, really. And then it's and then for me, it's fascinating like to watch the prequels again mm. um, because uh, there is some really great stuff in there, especially with the like political, yeah. you know, the yeah. tension and and all of that and things that I think I 
kind of went over my head as a kid. Yeah. Um, so that kind of enriches it for me. Also in Clone Wars, you know, I'm mm -hmm. watching it the full, all the way through right now. I just got a season three in. I think the politics in that are actually quite brilliant um, yeah. and like serve as great allegories. Um, but going back to what you said about um, you know being in the theater and letting yourself feel something with the stress of the world on, on you, um, I remember reading something uh, I think a couple of weeks ago saying that more people are going to the movies now more than ever. Like, and I think it's I think it's directly correlated with um, our political climate and people not wanting to have their attention on the news. So. You know, I think it, I think it allows both for that sense of escapism, but also that sort of catharsis you were talking about. Because I know I've certainly felt that, especially like watching something like Rogue One. Mm -hmm. um, Dennis, how about you? Well, it's it's certainly changed over time. When I was a kid, you couldn't just pop Star Wars on TV. Yeah. Uh, you had action figures, and you had a few comic books, maybe, and then. If you were lucky, you recorded it on a VHS tape off of HBO or when it was on a network station. USA. And then you wore that tape out whenever you got the chance. So I remember coming home, and I have two younger brothers, and there was two other kids on the street, and a little girl. She was always Princess Leia. I tended to be either Darth Vader or Han Solo. And it was, you know, and we reenacted those adventures over and over and over again. Um, as I've got older, you know, we've had these movies on VHS, we've had them on DVD, Blu-ray, streaming they're now everywhere. We have had the Clone Wars. We've had Rebels. We have a new era of comic books. We have novels by the dozens. Throw the new ones. Yeah. <laughs> and so, <laughs> right. And so you, it's there's so many different avenues to uh, it's a it's a hobby. And what is a hobby but a way of escaping uh, it, your problems and whatever you're working on. I can do Star Wars for fun. I try and make a great product with my own podcast. And when I review Star Wars comics. But at the end of the day, it doesn't matter. Uh, as an attorney by trade, I deal with people's rights all day long. Right. And that's a much more serious thing. And so when I go home and I can engage in some Star Wars, whether I'm just vegging out in front of Rogue One or The Force Awakens, or I'm reading a comic book and you know, trying to figure out how that fits in between you know, A New Hope and The Empire Strikes Back, right. it's, it's a great way to take my you – know, just to – it's a different world. It's a different mind place. It's a different totally. mind place, different mindset. So uh, now I'm going to shift gears uh, 180 degrees, and now I'm going to talk. We're going to talk about how does Star Wars inform you about the real world, and what are the parallels you see, and how does that help you better understand our political situation? You know, and it, it's interesting because I I rewatched the prequels recently. I actually did a. a a complete watch through of all the movies in chronological order. Nice. <laughs> um, nice. And one of the things I found really fascinating besides the intricacies of the Republic and how you see characters like Chancellor Palpatine, you know, pre-Emperor Palpatine. Uh, Uncle Palpy. <laughs> Uncle Palpy. <laughs> you know, and, and, and Padme and trying to navigate that. And it's, it's fascinating to me to see like, how much happens behind the scenes oh, and how totally. and how much goes in like how much goes into those inner workings that the general you know populace isn't privy to and so I think that's something I always try to keep in mind like what's really going on behind the scenes that that they're not sharing with us and who's you know who's greasing palms and who's you know trying to manipulate the situation to their advantage and and you know things things aren't cut and dry I think yeah um 
So one of the things I try to do, like when I actually do read the news is try, try to keep a like more balanced perspective. So if I read something that's slamming one person, I'm like, well, let's go to this site and see what this person has to say. So you kind of form a more well-rounded perspective, you know, because unfortunately nothing's really objective anymore. Seriously, like you <laughs> so, can't turn on any sort no. of right. thing. Um, so I remember 2005 when Revenge, Revenge of the Sith came out. It, it drew a lot of very politically charged yep. responses uh, as soon as that movie premiered. And I remember sitting in the theater, front row in the theater, because I had a weird thing back then where I just liked to be in front row with my neck cracked back. <laughs> and, uh, and watching a Star Wars film at that. Right, boom, right, nothing separated, <laughs> right there. <laughs> I was in Tatooine for a moment. It was crazy. But, uh, yeah, no, it was interesting because I felt there was a really strong anti-war message that came across. And Lucas, he he never really came out and said, yes, this was very, I'm making like an anti-war film. He, he really kind of didn't take a very strong stance on that. But it's there. And especially yeah. in 2005, Absolutely. it very much came off that way. Um, about two, two years after uh, the Iraq war started. Yeah. yeah about that. Um, yeah, it was definitely charred in people's minds. So I think that was one of the first and biggest times that Star Wars influenced my view of the world mm-hmm. and how it was taking a, a stance against politics. But I mean, going back, I mean, you can tell, you know, how Star Wars is anti war going all the way back to the, the 70s and very. Yeah. You know, anti-Nixon, anti-Vietnam. I mean, he, uh, Lucas is on record talking about Nixon even being the inspiration for the Emperor. Yeah, I mean, that's that's pretty cool. So, um, yeah, I don't know. I'm just trying. I'm, I'm just I'm just rambling right now, guys. We can no, 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 no. Let, let someone else no, take no, it no. out. That's why I don't understand people that say there's no like political undertones in Star Wars. No, yeah, what are you watching? Like that that yeah. entire scene in The Force Awakens where they're debuting the power of Starkiller Base and you just see all the... the, He's making a neo-Nazi speech. (laughs) I remember taking... I remember finding, like, a screen cap of that shot and just looking at it, you know, and they're doing the salute and you're just like, how how does this, you know... Yeah, I mean, JJ... They whack you over the head with it. Yeah, yeah. JJ said in an interview, he imagined the First Order as what it would be like if the Nazis who went to Argentina came back, regrouped, and you know, had an army trying oh, to... Oh, I got fairies yeah. about that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yes. Yeah. Um, raise a clone. Yeah. But, uh, that, but, but yeah, Joe, back to what you said. Don't worry, you weren't rambling at all. You know, you were hitting, like, the exact inspirations for, like, uh, George Lucas's vision. And, you know, he had the story planned out for the prequels years before the Iraq War started or 9-11 happened. And, um you see this thing repeat in history so often it just happened to co- you know coincide the Star Wars prequels and the Iraq War and yeah it like uh, I certainly prescient. Yeah. yeah sorry to mean to cut you off I, 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 I certainly think that the politics leading up to and after 9-11 definitely influenced his final drafts of the screenplays yes. 100% um, but yeah I mean if uh, all I'm doing is really regurgitating an amazing article by my buddy uh, Michael O'Connor Oh the, yeah, the politics yeah. of Star Wars, basically, yeah. which uh, was great article. Yeah. We, we've had Michael on the podcast, yeah, before. Yeah, so I'm I'm literally just regurgitating. If you want to know all about the history of the politics of Star Wars, read that. Yeah, it's a really great article, you guys. Yeah, 
Well, you know, I think back on it when I was a kid, one of the things I loved about A New Hope, The Empire Strikes Back, Return of the Jedi was is that I didn't see them as political at all. And especially as a teenager, it was, you know, this is my great science fantasy movie and it's not Full Metal Jacket, it's not Platoon, it's yep. not any of these movies that clearly had some tie to Vietnam or something like that. And now I'm an adult and I'm like, well, shoot, now I know the truth. <laughs> and, you, and it's when you got to the prequels that uh, you really learn. It hits you over the head. There's politics in every single one of those movies, whether yeah. there's inaction in the in the Senate or the Senate being manipulated to grant emergency powers or Padme asking, do you think we're on the wrong side in Revenge yeah. of the Sith? You can't get away from the political messages there. And I don't think, you know, I have children that, uh, you know, watch these stars movies all the time. They don't see the politics right now. But I know their day is coming probably when we get to episodes 15 through 18 at some point in the yeah. future. But uh, it, it, George definitely had ideas. And he really embedded in those movies. And you, and they, uh, when you get a little bit more worldwide, they certainly come out. The moment it hit me was when I was a uh, sophomore in high school. And we were learning a lot about the Roman Empire. And I'm hearing all these terms about Senate and emperors and how... You know, emperors started in the in the Roman uh, you know Empire, and translating that back, all of a sudden I started thinking about Star Wars. I'm like, well, there was a Senate there, and then it got dissolved, and uh, it, it it always kind of clicked at that moment. Then I got, oh crap, Star Wars is political, and it, yeah, I, I totally remember when that all came together for me. Yeah, and then when you even look at the original trilogy. You know, Darth Vader was in all black. The Emperor wore dark robes. The yeah. stormtroopers were stark white. Meanwhile, the heroes had their blues and their greens and their uh, you know, their camouflage colors. They were, you know, they were earth tones. They looked warm and inviting. And so you had this very clear idea of what a good guy was and what a bad guy is. The world's not like that. Yep. And now you get to the prequels and they blend that. The clones, the ones wearing the white armor, are the good guys. White means good, and you know, cowboys and. Indians and whatnot, but it it he changed the palette on everybody, yeah. and it made that very clear picture that politics isn't all black and white. Even the beginning of Revenge of the Sith, the opening crawl says, you know, there's heroes on both sides, evil is everywhere. Yeah. Well, shoot, what do you do with that? But then they take it one step further in Force Awakens and make one of and make Finn's journey about, yes. you know, the whole thing is we've never seen a stormtrooper without their helmet before, and it completely humanized them in a way that we've never seen so it's like you know you can take somebody who's been quote-unquote behind enemy lines you know somebody who believed his life was going to be about one thing and then decided one day it was not going to you know decided to be a hero instead so it's i think that's just fascinating because it's completely changing you know the, i think i think star wars as a franchise is kind of growing away from that like black versus white because yeah. even in Rogue mm -hmm. One you get characters like Jin, you get Cassian who in the name of the rebellion has done some pretty dishonorable things so I just think that's really really fascinating. Yeah we're dealing in so many more shades of gray and um, you know in Star Wars Rebels for example we have the Bendu who like says I'm strictly in the middle I am not going to intercede in this uh, conflict. Um, but Look at that worked out. <laughs> <laughs> but um, going back to what you said, Carly, about uh, Finn and getting more of that psychology behind the bad guys. And just to let you guys know, this is the only time you'll ever hear me express sympathy for that, uh, that monster Kylo Ren for what he did. <laughs> did you not um, see my shirt? 
Oh, I didn't see. Kylo Ren is a punk bitch. Awesome. Anyway. But yeah, getting uh, to see more of his perspective and his struggle between the light and the dark is uh, just, uh, you know, it's really interesting and compelling. And going back to what you said, Dennis, about in the prequels, how there are heroes and villains on both sides. And, you know, is the Republic's action really justified in going to Geonosis, essentially attacking preemptively, even though we do know that uh, the Separatists do have a clone army, or sorry, a droid army, they haven't done anything with it yet. So I, I really love how it is exploring like these deep nuances. I actually, so we talked about this overarching uh, political message from Star Wars, but I'm curious if there are any other political messages you guys have taken from the franchise. I mean, I can start. Like, uh, I'll, yeah. just, I'll just say, like, I think something really important that uh, Star Wars has conveyed since its inception is, um, and this isn't exactly obvious in the original trilogy, but the Empire is a human supremacist organization. Uh, you never see any aliens. Uh, you never see, uh, interestingly enough, any females, but they weren't necessarily sexist. I think that's a retcon. You know, now we have... Grand Admiral Sloan, or we have, or sorry, was it Admiral Sloan? Admiral Sloan. Admiral Sloan. Apologies. Uh, just, a, maybe in aftermath she became Grand Admiral. She did. Yeah. 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 Uh, but um, you did. You had it very much as a monolith, whereas the rebellion uh, was more diverse. This ragtag team and um, didn't necessarily have that many aliens at first, but still, you saw by Return of the Jedi that these were uh, species all like. Uh, united against the tyranny of the empire and i started researching more on this on wikipedia and other uh websites about uh the emperor's grand vision that to have a human supremacist uh empire that would be mm -hmm. pure and even in the uh revenge of the sith novelization dennis we talked about this when you were on our show um count dooku actually had a vision for that as well he actually hated working with these alien species and the separatists he thought oh when uh palpatine and i uh you know do away with this charade we will create a grand order of you know human uh supremacy and order and um I think we see that a lot in our own world. Uh, you know, obviously the direct parallel is Nazi Germany and uh, the uh, uh, idea of the Aryan um, like uh, species or race. And I th think we still see that daily in our world today. I think you see so many cultures and groups fighting today um, over very skin deep, only skin deep differences. Mm. And I think most unfortunately of all today, you're seeing a resurgence of white supremacy in our very nation. It's it's not it's not as big as you know Nazi Germany or anything like that. It's relatively minuscule, but it is potently dangerous and something we all need. I feel we all need to be united against. And yeah, so the empire definitely were seeking a human hegemony, um, and. It's interesting to think about that because in a world with millions of different uh, alien species, that's something you can very clearly delineate between, okay, these are humanoids and these are not. But in the real world, what we define as human is just another idea of what's acceptable yeah. and who is the other. Totally. And it's, a, it's an interesting parallel there between thinking 
yet this is the empire we're, we're seeking, and these are the people who we are letting into our society, and these are the people who we are excluding. And I think there's a lot to read into there. Um, definitely not something that Lucas was turning a blind eye to. Yeah, definitely. Well, a different political message that resonates with me just comes from the Phantom Menace, and it was the fact that Naboo was blockaded, and there was suffering going on there, and then the Senate was powerless to do anything because they were wrapped up in procedure. Yeah, gridlock. And so it's this political inaction in the guise of trying to do the right thing politically, which is gather evidence, gather discussion, debate an issue, but the perpetrators of the violence were using the procedures to prevent justice, uh, so to speak. They were right. they were attempting to uh, prolong the situation by calling for committees, by invest- demanding investigations when they knew full well what was going on. Like filibustering almost, in right. a lot of ways. Totally. Right, yeah. And, and yeah, I mean, there was, it was totally obstructionist uh, along the way, which I think is a clear comment on our own political situation that... Uh, we're very good at discussing things and tabling things and putting it through committees multiple times, but to actually get real action is a Herculean feat. Uh, yeah. yeah. I mean, the Trade Federation were essentially lobbyists that got a seat in, in the Senate, mm-hmm. yeah. which is scary. Absolutely. <laughs> totally. Um, the only thing I was just thinking about in terms of like a political message is... Um, like how much government is kind of willing to turn a blind eye or to like, to what degree are they willing to kind of ignore, you know, something corrupt that may be going on? Like what's the final straw? Cause I'm reminded of, I don't know if any of you have read uh, catalyst. The yeah. Oh, yeah. Yes. So like, so, so, you know, when they're building the death star and then like, I think even in Rogue One, isn't there a thing where they do when they do the test fire on Jeddah City, but then they say they're going to tell the Senate it was like what a mining explosion or something? Uh, they say, I, they, something they say like they're going to feed yeah. them some answer about how you know because they're trying to cover up the fact that they have mm. they have this super weapon that's not there is no finished. Death Star right yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> so that's something I've been thinking about is like how much corruption you know is is this body of government going to kind of just let filter under the rug and 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 what's going to be the thing that finally like what's the what's the final straw so how much are we willing to tolerate in the background how much are we willing to ignore it's uh i think that's definitely something that we need to consider today Mm -hmm. you know more than any time um so on to something else uh we're seeing an increasing usage of star wars imagery in political campaigns i think we saw a lot of this in the 2016 election um hillary clinton said at the end of her debate with bernie sanders may the force be with you um and but i think most prominently that people have taken notice is uh the usage of carrie fisher's image in uh the quote resistance and the women's movement um i'm curious like how fitting do you think this really is specifically Carrie or just specifically Carrie Fisher and maybe some other examples uh, that I don't have a problem with it as long as it's genuine mm-hmm. um, I feel like oftentimes certain politicians want to use Star Wars imagery just because they think it's in and it's cool yeah. and you know and that I don't appreciate but when someone identifies with Carrie Fisher as a symbol for their movement well, that's there's a certain genuineness to that. I mean, yeah. e- anyone can be a Star Wars fan, and I'm not going to be a gatekeeper about that. Yeah, but course, yeah. e- I've heard a certain number of politicians, and I'm not going to name names, that simply they didn't know what they were talking about. But yeah. a lightsaber is cool. 
they know the name Luke Skywalker. Who is it? Who doesn't know the name Luke Skywalker? Luke Skywalker. To call yourself Luke Skywalker and you know point to the other side as Darth Vader and the Emperor, um, and it's a shorthand. Sure, why not? But it's it doesn't. Uh, I think there's a. I don't. I don't believe it's honest most of the time. Mm. Right. I remember uh, the night of the election. I started seeing the rebel symbol just pop up oh, everywhere man, on social yeah. media, and I feel like that reaction was very. It came from a very natural and intuitive place mm-hmm. that this is how um, the opposition party, in this case Democrats and liberals, were seeing their position and how it was time to stand up for what you believe in. So I feel like that point was very – it was a really interesting moment where people took something that they've grown up with or they believe in and they transferred it onto – some sort of practical use, mm. um, notwithstanding people who are using it for disingenuous games, like Dennis said. Um, I think that it was a really interesting moment where Star Wars took on a bigger place in pop culture than maybe it ever had. Oh, absolutely. Where in people's adult lives, they were able to apply something that they may have grown up with their entire mm. life and see a greater use for the morals that were instilled, in, even going back maybe 30, 40 years. Yeah, I mean, I feel like I saw a lot of uh, criticism, I think, against fans that were talking about the election in terms of Star Wars, or talking about it in terms of, I don't know, Harry Potter, and saying, like, oh, this is, we got to form Dumbledore's army, or we've got to form the Rebel Alliance. <laughs> and my feeling is, like, you know, I, I don't have a problem with people talking about it in those terms, but when it's when you use it as a way to kind of, like, shut out the real problems and mm. everything that's going on, that's when it becomes an issue, I think. Um, I agree. Yeah. But, you know, we, we see things like, you know, the language of the resistance and, like, how important it is to resist and to not just simply lay down and, and take certain things as they come and be accepting of, you know, some of these actions that are currently coming out of the of the Trump White House. And, and so I think, for me, it was inspiring. Um, to see things like Princess Leia used on a sign at the Women's March, you know, things like a women's places in the resistance. Exactly. And, and yeah. you know, it's it's not, I don't think people are saying like, oh, we're gonna, you know, form a rebellion, but like, we do have to find ways to resist in our own, in, in what way we can, and to say, no, I'm not gonna stand for whatever, and you know, and to use our voice. I think that's really the most important thing, so. Yeah. You know, one other thing is, it's just, to, my, to what I was saying earlier is that, <sighs> Growing up, fans of science fiction and Star Wars and you know space fantasy and all that, we were treat you know that's when geek was a dirty word. That's when geek was an insult, and now it's a popular movement. And so it's I sometimes feel like the politicians that are trying to embrace it now were the same people that were criticizing and putting it down back then. Mm, and yeah. so it's a part of me resents that that it is you it's know disingenuous. Yeah, it's it's you know. Just to try to add some clarity to what I'm saying, it's that, you know, I find that I know women that were a part of the Women's March and that were holding up that Princess Leia sign. Yeah. And they believed in Carrie Fisher, they believed in Princess Leia and what she represented, which, you know, she was a princess, but she was not the woe is me princess that got slung over the shoulder and taken to the top of the tower and held behind a locked door. 
she was only captured because she was outgunned. She shot back at the stormtroopers. She led her own escape when it came to that. Somebody has to save our skin. Exactly. Yeah. And so, you know, that's a, it's a, she is a very powerful symbol, and it, it was very fitting for that movement. Yeah, uh, I think it was absolutely fitting. I was at the Women's March in D.C., and uh, seeing her image around was extraordinarily inspiring, especially with... Her life, her extraordinary life, and her advocacy, and uh, the character of Princess Leia, who always, always, always resists and rebels uh, against overwhelming odds, and I personally think it was extremely appropriate. And um, I'm happy to see. I'm ha- I'm sort of melancholy happy to see um, after un- the unfortunate passing of Carrie Fisher that her image is essentially immortalized. And, uh, yeah, I think there's, like, yeah, it's pretty amazing. I think someone asked Mark Hamill, like, what he thought about it. Mm-hmm. Like, and he was like, yeah. she would have been honored. Basically. Yeah. And I was like, well, yeah. let's take it from someone who who knew, right? Who would I know. Agreed. So. <laughs> agreed. <laughs> and we'll get Mark's advocacy on Twi- on social media. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, man. By, by, by the way, uh, sort of side, side note, do you guys, uh... Have you guys uh, listened to the Trumpster? Oh yes, yes. <laughs> so funny. He's so good. For our listeners that don't know, this is uh, Mark Hamill voiced the Joker in the Batman animated series, and now he's recording Trump tweets in his Joker voice. It's absolutely <laughs> brilliant. All right. Well, um, thank you all so much. Uh, this was our live from Celebration episode of Beltway Banthas, and. Uh, uh, everyone, where can uh, everyone find you on uh, social media and uh, your other work? Um, you can find me on Twitter at my name, Carly Lane. Uh, I am one of the co-hosts of the Supergirl radio podcast. Awesome where podcast. <laughs> we Amazing talk podcast. about the CW show, uh, the comic, uh, pretty much any incarnation of Cara Danvers, Cara Zorrell. Um, and I am also currently writing for Nerdist, which is why I'm here at Star Wars Celebration and uh, Sci-Fi Wire. You can find me at RichardZap.com, uh, along with uh, Suara and Dennis. And, uh, yeah, I'll be, I'll be there writing and publishing a lot of amazing things. Uh, Bruise and Blasters is my weekly show, but uh, you can also find me on the Dunecast, which is a monthly show about Dune. And uh, whenever Game of Thrones comes back, we'll be doing a We Know Nothing yes. Uh, podcast. Yes, can't wait. Yes. Um, you can find me on Twitter at DJKVER2. You can, uh, my podcast is Starship Savers and Scoundrels, which is on, as Joe just mentioned, on the RetroZap Podcast Network. Um, and I also review all Star Wars comics uh, as a try to keep up on a weekly basis, and those reviews are also on RetroZap.com. Every one. <laughs> <laughs> Every single one. Good Literally. guy. You can't miss it. All right, well, thank you guys so much, and may the Force be with you. Always.